On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back into another edition of this other side of Texas. I'm running along here. Jay West, Texas Leeson. Glad that you're tuning in to the broadcast where we are broadcasting from Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash five years running. Stop in one of five convenient locations to figure out your best location in the the hub city. For the best wash around, guaranteed. Racerwash.com. Coming up this edition of the program, Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, be with us. And then Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions, get in. What's going on with uh, these guys that are beginning to... You know, my great-grandmother... You know, there was a time when we believed, like, the end was near. And... um and I was raised in that for sure. And I remember I didn't, I didn't, we didn't have the internet until I remember my buddy, Michael Deonda in health class, our senior year, 1997 in Abernathy, Texas saying, my dad can read ESPN like it's a newspaper on his computer. And we said, stop it. What are you talking about? He said, yeah, man, it's a thing called the internet. And um, <clears throat> as that's progressed over time, uh, sure enough, Mr. Deonda was watching ESPN on his computer, uh, reading it anyway. He said he could read it like it's a newspaper right there on his computer as technology's advanced. Holy smokes. Uh, so has... The Reinhold Niebuhr used to say the only empirically valid Christian doctrine is original sin. And as technology has advanced, so too has um, original sin. And people's capabilities. So all I have to say, back into the 80s and 90s and then to today, are you surprised that people are, are hacking FaceTime? on our iPhones and watching us Mike Bazaar and that's not me being conspiracy theory man there's nothing conspiracy theory about what I'm throwing out there I know that some people sound like conspiracy theorists you think I am like oh shocked by it so I'm up here bashing it because I don't like gay people I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin frogs gay do you understand that yeah not serious crap not not like Alex Jones, but it, it's it's a thing, and Mike Bazaar is going to talk to you about it and why you need to be concerned about that. Get into card skimmers, all sorts of things. Second half of the program after Ross Ramsey today. See, we're already having fun. Um, but where I want to begin is the Dallas Morning News today. Here's the editorial. People have asked, did I have anything to do with this? I did not. I do not write editorials. I write commentaries from time to time for the uh, the Dallas News. And here's how the editorial goes. North Texas pets enjoy surprisingly broad choices when it comes to health care. 
plenty of general veterinarians and those offering a myriad of specialties, including pet dentistry, ophthalmology, and dermatology. I didn't realize that pets needed those things. This is good for our urban and suburban animal friends, but farm animals in rural parts of Texas do not have access to the same level of care. Texas lacks enough large animal veterinarians for our dairy and meat animals, and that despite the fact that Texas A&M runs an excellent veterinarian school. The Texas legislature has kicked this issue down the road for decades, slow to take action on the demand for for rural veterinarians and the right programs to address it. This session, Texas Tech University System is offering a proposal to solve the problem by building a veterinarian school, excuse me, veterinary school at Health Sciences Center in Amarillo. We think lawmakers should give the university a chance to do so. We say this with the understanding that Texas A&M recently broke ground on an exciting veterinarian program at West Texas A&M down the road. That's an undergrad program, by the way. Down the road in Canyon to allow students to focus on rural large animal or food animal veterinary medicine. And by down the road, it's 15 miles down the road. 15 miles down the road. But there's a larger issue beyond tech versus A&M. Colon, investing in West Texas. We city folk often forget how greatly we rely on the vast rural region of the state for food, fuel, cotton, and more. It's important to support local institutions, particularly when people in the region have shown enthusiasm for a project with their own donations. Tech has raised $90 million to build the school and asked the legislature for $17 million. And that's just for the biennium to pay for operations to support an initial class size of 40 students, including students who might choose to focus on pets rather than large or food animals. A&M has lowered, lower cost proposal asking the legislature for $8.1 million for the biennium to fund a West Texas A&M rural veterinary medicine. And folks, this all is knee-jerk John Sharp. Now, listen, there are two things at play here. There are the principles, and I've heard from over and over again veterinarians in the panhandle who are opposed to the Texas Tech Vet School. They exist. They're out there. There's the principle of the argument, but then there's the politics of the argument. And Bob Duncan was kicking John Sharp. The chancellor of Texas, A- Texas Tech was kicking John Sharp in the pants. And then, oops, the uh, chancellor of Texas Tech got fired. Or ousted. But all this work at WT... And that's why I said whenever I wrote the column that I did in the Dallas Morning News, these new buildings being built at West Texas A&M, which has had this sudden splurge of money all of a sudden, in reaction to Texas Tech, is all owing to the work that Bob Duncan put out there. Um, A&M 
is asking for $8.1 million for the biennium to fund a West Texas A&M veterinary school uh, medicine program that's graduating about 8 to 10 students a year focused on specifically on food production medicine. A&M has already invested $90 million in the panhandle for veterinary medicine. That's why I said at the time. It's a... Uh, it's a game of high stakes Texas Hold'em between A&M and Texas Tech. The Dallas Morning News comes out on the side of Texas Tech in it. And politically, principle, there's a whole discussion to be had. Politically, A&M has gotten beaten here, and I expect that A&M will get beaten when the budget writers get together. And from the time the budget writers get together until the votes are cast. And uh, mark my words, going to get out and get Ross Ramsey on the phone line. Stick with us. Just getting started here on the other side. We'll talk to you on the other side. Go out to the phone lines. He is a legend amongst legends. Ross Ramsey, Texas Tribune, executive editor. How you doing, Ross Ramsey? I'm doing great. I don't know about this legend business. Yeah, the legend. You know, Bud Kennedy really broke it down for me. I'll forward you the email. He did the background work. He came on on Monday, and I think the, a couple of weeks ago, I asked him about the dean of Texas journalism, the Texas political journalism, and uh, he put together a pretty good archive. I'll, I've forgotten to send that along to you, but... Bud doing, putting his uh, sneakers to the ground and, and making it happen. Um, proving that you aren't the dean. There we go. And I hope it had Bud Kennedy on the list. Uh, Bud was somewhere in there. And then, um, what's the guy at the statesman's name? Statesman? Ken Herman. Yes. I think Ken Herman was the consensus at this point. So. Yep. Uh, Ross, let's get into how you're Dr. Seuss these days. Um, <laughs> lewd, crude, and shrewd. Uh, put a bow on this uh, Seliger versus Kel Seliger out of Amarillo versus uh, Dan Patrick thing for us. Well, you know, Dan Patrick said that, you know, you you know and your audience knows all about the Kel Seliger version of Kiss My Grits. He said it in pretty strong terms got into a verbal punch out with a, a Senate staffer. Dan Patrick took the side of the staffer who works for him and removed Kel Seliger from a committee chairmanship um, and used a funny word when he was doing it. He said he called it a lewd comment, and I that sounded funny to me, so I looked it up, and, you know, the word lewd has a distinctly sexual connotation to it. It's a comment made you know about something sexual and you know even i think the strongest version of kiss my grits probably doesn't go there so i was thinking about it and thought you know well um the what seliger said wasn't lewd it was crude and the attack on the senator i think you know and and sort of explained it all in a column was not particularly shrewd i just i guess i had my i was channeling dr seuss yeah you were no one's youer than you ross ramsey no one's youer than you. Uh, you think this is going to, in the end, is this going to backfire on 
lieutenant governor. I had people, let me ask you, let me tell you why I'm asking this. I had people who are observing the Senate checking in with me today saying, and last night, saying he's as popular as ever now. I mean, he's just standing tall, Kel Seliger, senators coming by saying hello. He's grinning ear to ear in his Kel Seliger fashion. He... Because to me, the Agriculture Committee, and I can say this because I've covered agriculture to an extent where I don't dismiss agriculture, but at the state level, they just essentially say at the state level, stay out of our business. Keep your nose out of our business. Don't overregulate us. Don't go in all these dumb regulations. And then they play another card whenever they go up to D.C. and it's help us, help us, help us. The Ag Committee, and I've talked to several people here within the region I always thought that that was kind of a farce in the first place. My working theory is Seliger didn't lose much, and he gained a whole lot. You know, I think the way I would say it is that it's hard to see what, in what way the lieutenant governor's actions here advance things for the lieutenant governor. You know, he's got a lot of things he wants to pass this session, um, and they're big things. It's not as numerous maybe as it was two years ago. But he and the governor and the speaker want to do school finance, which is a large amount of work. It's one, you know, it's just one thing. It's just two little words, but it's a third of the state budget. It's hard to move around. Um, it's a heavy lift for politics. They also want to tackle property taxes, which is the same thing. It's very difficult, and you want to muster your strength. You want to pull your strength together before you take on an enterprise like that. And it's hard for me to see, I mean, I may turn out to be wrong here, but it's hard for me to see how the actions with Seliger and all of that business strengthen the lieutenant governor's hands. And that's why I, you know, suggested that, you know, didn't look from this point of view like a particularly shrewd move. Yeah. And, you know, a texter texting in, doesn't it just embolden Seliger's position as a swing vote? You know, the I'll quote Chris Christopherson, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. <laughs> That's your greatest pull of all time. All, every time you've been on this program, that's the best pull. I appreciate that. But it is. He doesn't have anything left to lose. He's in his first year of a four-year session. So right. what are they going to do? They they can't take away his chairmanship. They you know, And senators of either party are generally dangerous if you don't keep them busy. You know, uh, Bob Bullock, there was a great old story, if, if we have a second. Bob Bullock came in to office in 1991, his first session. He didn't give the Republicans any committees. There was a guy named Ike Harris from Dallas, Texas, uh, who was, you know, sometimes not the most active senator, but super smart when he was active. And he got it in his craw when Bullock didn't give him any committees and gave Bullock so much trouble that by April of that session year, Bullock went to him and said in, in less delicate terms, if you'll back off, I'll take care of this. Um, you just can't leave your enemies idle over there. There's too many things they can mess up. Yeah, you can't back them into the corner. Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, with us as always midweek. Uh, Abbott's State of the State speech. Um, let's start with tomorrow. I think a big uh, announcement, to, or at least a presser, the governor, the House of Representatives speaker, and 
I believe Lieutenant Governor Paul Bettencourt, Dustin Burroughs out of Lubbock, all supposed to meet. I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to say a thing or two about property tax reform. I've heard it called right. reform and relief. I think this falls on the side of reform. I think, you know, we're going to find out. You know, the the two things that we're waiting for, or two of the big things that we're waiting for, we know they're talking about school finance. We know they're talking about property taxes. But when you, you know, when you just knock around the legislature and say, what do you mean by when you say school finance or what do you mean when you say property taxes, they have different ideas. And, you know, to some extent, to a great extent, the legislature is looking to its leadership to see what the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker, and, you know, some of the subject matter people really want to do. Do they want to change? Is this about appraisal reform? Is this about limiting local property tax increases without voter approval? Is this about lowering property taxes? Is this about um, exemptions? What exactly are we talking about on property taxes? We'll get a peek at that tomorrow, I think, in this press conference. I think it's going to go towards the governor's purview, is what I think. But that's just... uh because I understand what happened behind the curtains last session. Uh, I think that they're going to come out and put out a 4%. What do you think? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, there are proposals floating around uh, that I've seen, you know, both, you know, this year and in previous sessions, you know, we could do this thing or that thing or the other thing, but you know, that, that, that group of things I listed are the, are the ideas or some of the main ideas on the table, it could be a combination of those. I honestly don't know exactly where they want to go, which is, you know, sort of interesting. Four weeks, you know, we're in the fourth week of a 20-week session, and you're talking about moving, you know, a lot of legislative dirt here. They need to get to work pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's... So they need to know pretty quickly what it is that they're working on. That's some criticism I've heard is that, you know, why are we waiting until Feb 5 or whatever for the state of the state address if we've got all these, if we've got these emergency items, let's get to work. Like some people surprised that the state of the state wasn't a couple of weeks ago. Well, the state of the state's always about now. Okay. Uh, so so it's not particularly late. You know, it is all often the case that a governor will come out before the state of the state and say, you know, I want lawmakers to take this on and I'm looking for legislation that would do X, Y, and Z, and then come in in the state of the state and say it all over again. You know, a famous example is George Bush coming in in 1994 saying, I want tort reform, and it needs to do this and this and this, and I want welfare reform on these lines, and I want juvenile justice reform on those lines. And then he, you know, said it in some more detail and with some rhetorical flourish in his state of the state speech, but he had everybody rolling pretty quick. Is this going to be the great compromise, Ross, that maybe there is a 4% that's put up by the legislature, a 4% cap, it goes beyond 39 or whatever, then we're going to go and have rollback rate elections, and in exchange we're going to pump $6 billion into public ed? You know, there are a bunch of things out there that, you know, could be the components of, you know, whatever they get to at the end. In his inaugural speech... Greg Abbott said that we ought to have a ban on unfunded mandates from the state. You know, one of the things that local governments have said in response to the proposed caps on increases in local property taxes is if you'll stop sending us things to do without sending us the money, we'll stop having to have this money, you know, a lot of this money that we raise our taxes to bring in 
is to cover the unfunded mandates from the state. If the state's really serious about that and really does that, that would involve a lot of state spending. They'd be spending money on things like indigent defense that's now mostly picked up by the counties, on indigent health care that's picked up by hospital districts, on mental health services in county and uh, local jails that are required by the state and, and shifted off to, to um, local criminal just authorities. And and there's a lot of money in that. There's you know hundreds of millions and billions of dollars tied up in that stuff. And if the state said, we'll take care of all that stuff, the counties and the cities would be probably less um, argumentative. They'd have less less ground to stand on when they're fighting these state limits on how they raise their money. Oh, man. Now the texters are rolling in, Ross. These are not my curveballs. These are people who want to hear your take. Um Tomorrow, terms expire for regents at Texas Tech University, as I'm sure regents at public universities across the state, appointed by the governor. No word thus far. Um, would you expect, if you haven't heard anything by this point, is Abbott going to roll out in this, this thing tomorrow on the steps with in this presser about what we just talked about, and then at the same time, name new appointments, or are these guys going to stay in place throughout the session? I doubt that he'll name new new appointments. There are a bunch of these. As you said, you know, it's not just Texas Tech. It's all the universities have some regents going off. And there are some state agencies where the same thing's happening. If you If you name someone, if you appoint someone to an office during a legislative session, they have to be confirmed by the state senate before the senate and the house leave at the end of may so you have a very quick burn and you put the senate in control of your appointments if you wait and make your appointments the day after the house and the senate leave then the senate doesn't do confirmations until it comes but back can, again can they do that anymore ross i thought they, that they we do put it, that up yeah. on a, const, a constitutional uh, ballot in the last election that you can't uh, once the legislature ends, therefore their terms end. Right. So you would have to do it when the legislature ends and then wait until 2021 for their confirmation hearing. So you would have, at that point, I guess, five regents at Texas Tech? No, you or can have six. them go into office the day you appoint them. They just don't have to go through confirmation. They are unconfirmed appointees serving in office. Man. That's pretty good. That's pretty good curveball you handled there, Dr. Seuss, Ross <laughs> Ramsey, lewd, crude, and shrewd. Uh, let's get into another thing here while we got you. Um, Secretary of State, and it is a new Secretary of State, and I want to ask you about the politics of that. But right. uh, this illegal alien voter, you guys have been killing this story on Texas Tribune. Um, but... There were some 85,000, 90,000, whatever the number was, and now you got all these retractions. What's going on? How many people have voted illegally? They had the names of 95,000 people that, on what they call a weak match, I'll come back to that, looked like they were both non-citizens when they went to the Department of Public Safety for driver's licenses or ID cards and had voter registrations. And within that, 58,000 of these people had apparently voted. So you have to start taking that apart. And the state said those are the numbers that at the very top line 
we're going to send these down to the counties and the counties can check this out. So the first thing is that these were people who were going to the DPS for IDs and getting voter IDs and maybe sometimes voting over a 22-year period. So it leaves open the possibility that somebody showed up last week, said they were a non-citizen, got a voter registration card and a driver's license, and you know were prepared to vote, right? Mm-hmm. But also that someone who showed up in 1996 as a non-citizen and got a driver's license or an ID card and subsequently was naturalized and once naturalized became a voter and voted. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so you have to go through this list and you have to say, okay, at some time in this 22 years, this person was a non-citizen and got a driver's license or ID card and got a voter registration and in many cases voted. That doesn't mean necessarily, depending on the sequence of those things, that an illegal alien voted. And before they put any of this stuff out, they said, you know, these non-citizens might have voted. And they used the big numbers instead of little numbers, and they put out all of these numbers before they checked them out. Mm -hmm. So they created the impression that there's this giant piece of voter fraud going on in Texas. And one of the the folks who bid at this was President Trump, who Mm -hmm. tweeted the next morning. This happened on Friday afternoon. He tweeted Saturday morning, voter fraud, you know, this voter fraud thing in Texas. Look at these numbers. Uh, This is just the tip of the iceberg. So while you're sorting this out and while you've got these county election officials going through this to see if anything untoward even happened, you've already started the fire with, you know, this this idea that you've got undocumented immigrants and non-citizens voting in Texas. You don't know that that's true yet. And all we really did, we didn't, you know, um, punch anybody in the nose other than to say, you know, there's a lot of holes in these numbers. Wait a minute. And today in Harris County, they were attracted by at least 18,000. Right. So they've started the process of, you know, shrinking these numbers down. You know, what's the real number? Is there a real number at but over all? What duration of time, Ross? It wasn't this in the 22 years, 1996 no. to 2018. Okay. So it wasn't like the way it's been presented to the public is, well, in 2018, 95,000 people voted illegally. This is over the course of like 20 years, right? Right. And we don't know that anybody voted illegally. We don't know that yet. We know that we know that it's possible. Here's the other thing with a weak match. What they call a weak match is sort of a technical term, but it basically says we looked at this name and an identifier and we looked and we found the same name and an identifier over there, but we have not determined that it is the same person. Mhm. Right? So they've got a lot of work to do before they even know what they've got and and you know the what they did on Friday was they put out a long list and said, you know, this is the they presented it in a way that created an impression that thousands of people were voting in Texas who are not citizens and got everybody stirred up. And Who's they? Who, who does this hang The on? Secretary of State put out the okay. numbers. Texas the Secretary new, of State is a gubernatorial appointee. Yeah. Right. right. The gubernatorial appointee, um, not yet confirmed by the Senate, by the way, and um, he put out this list. He handed it over to the attorney general. The attorney general put out a press release that said, you know, we want to make sure that not even one non-citizen voted in Texas during this period. And then Paxton, then uh, Ken Paxton, the attorney general, 
put out a fundraising, you know, email, mm. you know, a political email that sort of amped it up a bit, took more of the president's tack on this and said, you know, there are, you know, there's evidence that undocumented immigrants or non-citizens, other non-citizens might have voted in Texas. Uh, the, you know, the media is saying it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal, et cetera, et cetera. It's a big, you know, so they got a political wave out of it. It's not at all clear whether they've actually got something going on wrong. The uh, fundraiser email is new to me, and uh, that is as newsworthy as is Harris County's dispute of 18,000 or more. Um, Bud Kennedy came on the show and said that there have been a lot of people who have been waiting for someone to take up this banner, and the new Secretary of State has done just that. Does that risk, if this all blows up in his face, does that put him at risk of being confirmed by the Senate? I would think so. Yeah. All right. Sure. I'm 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 sure that the you know that the Senate when they talked to David um Whitley, who used to be uh he was a top staffer to Greg Abbott, seems like a, you know, reasonably good guy and all of that, but you know, when they take him in there, I'm sure the first question um certainly from the Democrats on the nominations committee is gonna be walk me through this voter ID thing or this voter, you know, no. voter roll situation and talk to me about it and talk to me why you let this information loose, talk to me about the holes in it and start from there. And, you know, I think that could be a um, pretty rough hearing. Well, he's not lewd or crude, but certainly shrewd. He is Ross Ramsey, executive editor with the Texas Tribune. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you can hear and read I should say, read his new analyses pieces there at texastribune.org. Ross, appreciate the time, bud. It's always a pleasure, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Man, how good is he? How good is he? Like I watch on our on our podcast, we have quality filters, and we go through every week, and we figure out what people are listening to, what they like. They typically like the monologues. But Ross, you can see when people drop off of the podcast, um, and they do from time to time, but Ross Ramsey is must-listen-to audio, and I appreciate him making the time and uh, encourage you guys. And I've said this before, he's not on the line, so it's not like I'm kissing his rings or other things. Whenever I, People ask me all the time, what got you started in all this? And I'll say, well, A, B, C, and the D factor is I just started printing off Ross Ramsey's pieces and reading them. And that's what gave me a good bit of intelligence, began to ask other questions. And um, that's how I got rolling along here as I rave along here on the program. Stick with us. Mike Bazaar coming up. Going to get into some tech talk. With some good bumper music, we'll see you in about two minutes. Not that chill off your bones. Got food on the fire, can I get you some to eat? Make yourself at home. Yeah, I'm on the run. I'm looking out, searching for something that I still care about. I'm looking up to the sky. Lots of unanswered questions. Give me just a second here, Mike. Yeah. We've got to figure out what's going on now. Look at what we voted on constitutionally with regents. Just following up with my thoughts from Ross Ramsey, my political counselor, as I get up off the couch and think about things. 
where does that put Regent Gate now? Uh, Ross Ramsey says that he doubts the governor will name new appointments and uh, because those appointments are going to, have to be confirmed by the Senate and the House at this point, uh, or confirmed by the Senate, I should say. And a lot of movement in the Senate. If you think that Kel Seliger is a free agent, you wait until he has to look at a Rick Francis reappointment there with the the Board of Regents. Uh, tomorrow the clock expires on appointments. And my understanding is, and I'll look at this and maybe write about it, my understanding is if the governor is not named a reappointment, then they serve out the duration of the next two years, and then they're done before the next legislature, which still bodes a problem for Tech, many would think, with Rick Francis, who apparently fired uh, Bob Duncan over the vet school for him still to be in play there with the Board of Regents. Really disappointing. But also, here's my other thing, is that if he is not, if he's not there, Rick Francis, then so are, unless he reappoints the other two, Esperanza and then the chair of the Board of Regents, um, lots to lots to mull over there. And I'll certainly be tweeting about that later after the show. Um, but that's what I'm walking away with here as we in that portion with Ross Ramsey. That's really, I wish I just, I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't. I'm, I'm kind of glad you're here because I would just ask questions myself like a crazy man, Mike Bazaar, <laughs> I'm glad about I what's, what's going on. So I went to a training today. I mentioned yesterday that I got my, under the radar, kind of went in, got my real estate exam passed it and then went to some training today at uh, Lubbock Realtors place yeah uh there on 50th in Knoxville you used the Wi-Fi I did use the Wi-Fi and you were providing the credentials with Bizarre Solutions we are yeah and that's when I thought I hope nobody's goofing up because Mike's gonna bust them (laughs) better not be watching anything risque during all these session trainings. Yeah, we're, we're working on doing a cybersecurity training for a bunch of real estate agents as well through them, so we just got to find the right date. So. Mm-hmm. It'll be good. Look at you landing the big fish. Hey, we, we try. Might bizarre, bizarre <laughs> solution. So I started the program with end-of-world scenarios and uh, how the Internet could take us there. And um, that's reductionistic of what I said in the beginning of the program, but I was looking at a headline the other day. People can call you FaceTime and you don't answer it, but then they can still watch you FaceTime? Hear you. Hear you. Yeah, they can spy on you. So what they found, and Apple says they'll have a fix for this by the end of the week, but what they found is that if I FaceTime you, and then if you don't answer, but while it's ringing, I can swipe up or down and I can add myself to that call, It'll essentially self-answer, and then I can hear everything that's going on on your phone. But you can also hear my side. So it essentially just creates the connection. So it treats it as a group call, and everybody gets added automatically. So I could spy so how, on you without your knowledge. Hold on. Does that go past, like, the end of the ringing, end of the voicemail, and then forward? because well, FaceTime doesn't go to voicemail. Wow. Right? So rings pe- somebody could stay on the line with you for how long? I think until you figured it out or they hung up. Wow, it's the Russians, dude. 
It could very well be. It's the Russians. Yeah. And so it's a big deal. And so if could if, you imagine them calling calling a bunch of uh, oh, they'd start calling up senators and whoever else and see if you yeah, I'm sure they got all their cell phone numbers in their pockets in committee meetings. Yeah, let's listen. Now the the kicker is if your phone's on vibrate or whatever, I mean it'll ring and and do the things that it would normally do, even if you have it on silent at vibrate or whatever. So it, it, it's it got to be kind of an ignored phone, but if you set your phone to the side, I mean, it'll happen with me in the office. I'll have my phone on silent from a meeting. I'll forget about it. It's sitting on my desk. Mm-hmm. I'm working away, and then I realize somebody called, and I missed it. Yeah. And the FaceTime thing, they could just be listening away to me. They get all the info. The, everything. It's it's a little bit scary. So if you go into your settings, if you don't ever use FaceTime, I just turn it off. End of the world, man. I'm telling you. Mm. They should change it. The root of all, no. or the, the what is it? Love of all money is the root of all evil. It should be the internet. It's Period. The root of all evil. Period. <laughs> That's it. End of story. Yeah. The yeah. Love of yeah. it's the internet. I said in the beginning of the program that you know I've, I've read a lot of Reinhold Niebuhr, um, and I'm not the kind of guy who just reads a book. Like I mark up the book. Like yeah. it's highlighted underlying notes out in the margin yeah and i've read a lot of ronhold niebuhr but in nature and destiny of man if my house ever burned on fire that's uh i would grab my great-grandmother's bible and i would grab my copy of nature and destiny of man man has almost always been his most vexing problem yeah. and uh the only empirical only empirically valid christian doctrine is original sin and it compounds in groups. And nowhere is that more expressed to me today than on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Like, whenever you get on here and you shake my shake the kajibis out of me about the dark web and, it, and all that stuff. It is. And that's part of the reason even, you know. Like, you don't even see people as people anymore. No. You see as commodities to exploit. Well, and that's it's that. And then people don't. They're willing to say stuff behind people's back or under their, you know, the gossip can happen online facelessly. So I can create a fake account and I can go heckle friends at school. Yeah. And, and that's where cyberbullying and all that comes from. And so that's the other reason, too, as silly as it sounds. But that's part of the reason we tell people they should put in content filtering is because yeah. somebody will get on Instagram at work and then four hours of the day are gone. Mm-hmm. And you paid them for those four hours. Hey, uh, so you're going to hang out after the break and we're going to get into what? Credit card skimmers. Credit card $62,000 from Lubbock Banks. Okay. And um, we talked a little bit with Wes Rappaport about that yesterday, but want to get in with you and how to protect yourself on that. Yeah, what to look for. Some bizarre solutions. James texting in, it may be time. It might be time for someone to call for you don't have to respond to this okay. it might be time for someone to call for Seliger's resignation for his language towards a female staffer exclamation mark hashtag me too of course true dims don't apologize or resign without a lot of pressure james come on man i've read your text before you listen to the program you're smarter than this and you just heard ross ramsey say it was not lewd it was crude lewd has a sexual connotation crudeness does not that's number one number two the staffer with whom he uh, to which he was aiming these comments is a big boy she's a female but she is definitely a big boy in texas politics for sure and uh i i know how you want to like turn the comment if you want to talk about me too uh 
and this is from a guy, James, and I bet you this, I'll bet you I'll bet you a lot of a lot of stakes here that in this conversation between you and I, I'm the only guy who voted for Trump twice. I voted for Trump in the primary and in the general election, but I can say with all fairness here, uh, if you want to get into lewdness, crudeness towards women, uh, Dan Patrick is Texas's man, uh, is Trump's man, and nobody's been more lewd or crude on the female front and hurt himself with females, voters, which I think you'll see play out in 2020 more than Donald Trump. So... Give it a rest there with Seliger being a Democrat. Those guys in Amarillo were Democrats along or Republicans a lot longer than before than we ever considered being Republicans. That's my response there. Don't wrap that into me too, dude. Be smarter. Be smarter. Uh, we're going to get smarter. Listen to these uh, advertisers who we do business with and get smarter with Mike Bazaar as we come back on the other side. Uh, Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions, get in with uh, the bizarre skimming that's been going on. Yeah. Tell us what happened. We talked about this West Rappaport yesterday. Give your version of it, and how can folks protect themselves? Yeah, so this is, um, well, let me back up for two seconds. There was skimmers they found, and this was like a year, year and a half ago, at the Valero over at 82nd, or not 82nd, um, the Spur in Frankfurt. And in that case, what happened was they actually opened the machine and they they installed some computer equipment on the inside of it. They cut the cable and and stick it in there. Hmm. So what recently happened... How does that happen? Nobody's paying attention? Well, that's it, right? So they think you're getting gas, and while the attendant looks out and your car's parked there, it looks like you're getting gas. So they usually do it on the... um, panels facing away from the attendants so that and on the outside you know less light whatever it might be but where this i guess all started it's like talking about yesterday is um there was sixty two thousand dollars or so drawn out of banks around lubbock with essentially stolen credit card information they think and and as so the story goes and more research will figure out but they think that all that came from skimmers that they've People from around the state of Texas were swiping their cards at gas stations, and what a skimmer is, is they install uh, a little device in the gas pump, uh, you know, in the, the mechanics of it, or uh, electronics of it, or they'll do it on the outside. And they could do it on an ATM, they could do it on a gas pump, really you can stick it anywhere. And what they see a lot of, and I'll find a video of this and, and put it on our, our Facebook page, but okay. what they find a lot of people do is, you know, when you go up to the gas station, usually there's the little black round thing where you slide your card and yep. out, right? They get an exact mold of that that's just slightly bigger. They snap it on, and it's got a reader in it. And so you go and you swipe it, and the skimmer gets your information, and then the pump gets your information. So you swipe it, none the wiser, and now your information's been stolen. And then the more sophisticated ones, they'll actually open the panel up, like we said. So they'll find the key. A lot of those are generic keys. You know, maintenance guys get them. I mean, you can go find those keys. So they'll get the key or they'll break the lock. They'll open the panel, and then they'll unplug where the credit card machine plugs into the electronics internally. They'll stick a little 
box in the middle of that and then plug it back in. So same thing happens. You swipe your card, data goes through their box, and then gets passed on to the, the, the pump. So you never know your information got taken. The the ones that I've seen that they've installed So in, then they replace the whole thing, take the unit back well, out? So they, they can. Some of them they have to go pick it up. But the ones that they put in those machines a lot of the time have 4G modems in them. And it just dumps the information. Oh, man. So they and, put it in. It runs until the authorities or maintenance people, whoever finds it, and then it gets chucked. But they've collected all that data in the meantime. And so they'll, it takes all the stuff that's needed for a transaction because you've swiped it to tell the credit card company that you're buying gas. But how can the novice, how can I go up and look at that pump and know that it's that it's fake? That yeah, so so what I tell everybody is grab the plastic thing before you stick your card in it and just pull. And if it feels loose, if it pops off, then I would not use that. I would go in and talk to the attendant and let them know. Um, I would not say yank it so hard that you're going to break a perfectly good machine, but you give it a reasonable tug. And the other thing to look for is the security stickers. So Costco, United, I think Valero does it now, Stripes, almost all of them have gone to, they'll put a piece of tape across the the opening where, you know, the, the box would open up and over the keyhole. And it's that tape that when you peel it off, it leaves the words behind stuck to it. And so if you see a box and it is not sealed, huh. you may or may not use it, right? I mean, I'm not overly paranoid, but I'll try to go to gas pumps that face the attendant and that they have the tape. And so if you know they've always got the tape, like Costco does, and Costco's got cheap gas, so I get my gas there most of the time. And I always look, and as long as the tape is there and I give a little pull and, uh, you know, you use it and don't worry about it. But that's those are the big ones to look for. It's the other reason why a lot of places will say use ATM machines inside of banks, because if you don't use one that's in the bank or has cameras on it, then they can do the same thing on ATM machines, uh-huh. and, and there, there's a lot of places that they could do it, really anywhere you swipe your credit so card. So pull on the panel, pull yep. on the swiper. Yep. If they're loose, then... Yeah, I mean, if it, or if they pop off, right? I mean, if it's loose, then I would see if it pops off. Yeah, I'm, I would be the kind of guy who would get caught on camera pulling it out and being like, oh, I'm, I'm holding it, <laughs> and then I get tased. <laughs> Don't tase me, bro. Mm. Right? You'd be that guy. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm saying. Don't yank it so hard you're going to break good equipment. But you got to think there's not a very good way for that to snap on. So when it snaps on, it's usually held on with a light glue or something. So it, if it's going to pull off, it'll pop off. Mm. And uh, and same thing. You probably won't know because if they have a key to that box and they open it, they're going to close it and lock it. So it's not going to look tampered with. But if it never had the security seal, then you know that there's a chance of that and like i say they usually tend to do that where an attendant won't see them so on the outside pumps facing away from the attendant uh are are typically the ones that you'll see it on so they got that information on 4g and then went and took a lot more money so yeah so they get the credit card info then they will create fake credit cards and then they just go wherever that's how it happened yep and how much money they wound up getting out of lubbock bank sixty two thousand dollars yeah and other banks it could have you know i mean they did it across so they went and withdrew money or Mm -hmm. they went and bought a bunch of stuff this particular case they went to atms and withdrew money but a lot of the times it'll happen where they'll go to a walmart or wherever and they'll buy stuff and and you can see i've seen it once before and at the time it didn't click with me but i saw a guy and he swiped a card and he stuck it in his pocket and he swiped in a card and he stuck and i thought that guy's just maxed out all his cards he probably had stolen credit cards and he was just finding one that worked mm. so you stand there at a self-checkout nobody's watching you swipe eight or ten credit cards and nobody's gonna know or care oh man <laughs> okay what else you got for us 
I, you know, those were the big things that that I was looking at this week. I mean, it's just making sure you're not doing silly things that you know protect yourself a little bit. Don't put on a tinfoil hat and think everybody's out to get you. But no. you know, so uh, I'm in the midst of this new gig, and you set up the email. How often do you do stuff like that, and how can people reach out and? get yeah. your service so it's we do a lot of office 365 um it's you know big part of what we're doing now pushing businesses especially small businesses into the cloud so they don't have to have as much equipment and infrastructure on site so it's uh you know check out our website bizarresolutions.com or give us a call at 806-853-7757 all right mike bizarre appreciate your time thanks man as it's always okay. always good segment with you well, just as long no. as i don't scare you give you nightmares well, there's you can be scared, but if you don't know what you're looking for, then then you're super scared. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, getting to sign off this program uh, tomorrow. Erica Greeter and Charles Foster Johnson with Pastors for Texas Children going to be on the program. Erica Greeter, not with that entity. She's with the Houston Chronicle. Should be on with us. Get into some smart conversations with them. Until then, going to get home. Got to get home. Great family. Above average dinner waiting for me there at the Ponderosa. I hope that uh, you enjoy your evening. We'll see you next edition here on the other side of Texas. It's who we want.